0: Welcome to the Free Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, Please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon.
1: Praise God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Don't you love this preaching? I mean, we hear at all injections in the rear and you know, I, I've been watching my diet this week. I've been watching what I've been eating as we shovel it in. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. I'm going to be on the level. My bubble's in the middle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, verses 4. Through six. I uh, have noticed again recently as uh, I visit Christian bookstores that uh, there is now a steady stream uh, again of prophecy books being written. And how many know this morning that um, most false prophets lurk in Christian bookstores? <laughs> and uh, I'm amazed at the books that are being written uh, about Gog and Magog, which I really do believe is going to happen, Ezekiel 38 and 39. There's uh, books being written about Armageddon. There's a one world money system, no doubt. One world government system, the mark of the beast, Antichrist. And uh, you'll read books about a red heifer in Israel or an oversized computer in Belgium or who is the beast. But There's no mention in most of these books about a last day revival. Now, I don't know about you, but that bothers me because outside of the rapture this morning, I believe that the next great prophetic event is the mightiest outpouring of the Holy Ghost that the world has ever seen. I believe that the plowman is going to overtake the reaper, that there is a time coming that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved I believe we're going to see the greatest harvest of souls that we've ever seen in the church they want to tell you and I that the apostate church the experts tell us it's the church of Rome but I want to tell you that the apostate church in Gallup New Mexico is backslidden Pentecostals who are just as deluded as the catholic church how many know if you Really want to be a part of a pretty religion. How many know all religion is just the same? Catholic religion is much prettier than Pentecostal religion. I believe that we can attribute much of the problem this morning to a failure of the church to preach deliverance. And I want to appeal to you this morning, brethren, that we are in a war. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. I want to preach a message this morning on deliverance ministry. Because error always rides into the church on the back of truth. How many know deception is very subtle, and you can read prophecy after prophecy about the last days that we're going to see deception wholesale? I want to preach this morning a message on strongholds and a especially want to preach on casting down proud logic from second corinthians chapter 10 beginning of verse number four for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god bringing uh, every thought into captivity to the obedience of christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The Amplified Translation, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical, weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings, every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Being in readiness to punish every insubordinate for his disobedience when your own submission and obedience uh, as a church are fully secured and complete. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the anointing that makes the difference. We have no confidence in the flesh. I'm asking God that the anointing of the Spirit of God would destroy every yoke of bondage. Every spirit that has been sent to undermine this service, we bind it right now. We take dominion by your blood and we thank you for access before your throne of grace. By the precious blood of Jesus, we give you glory. In Jesus' powerful name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The word stronghold is a Greek word which means fortress. A stronghold is a forceful, stubborn argument. It is a rationale, an opinion or an idea or philosophy that is formed and resistant to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And one translation reads, casting down proud logic. I want to consider with you, first of all this morning, strongholds today in the local church. These strongholds this morning are uh, strangleholds that I want to identify this morning in the local church. They are growth uh, uh, busters, uh, just like the seven churches in the book of Revelation. How many know that in Revelations we have seven different church dispensations or seven different church ages? uh, But we also have seven different church conditions. This is a spirit in the last days. uh, that I believe is resisting spiritual and numerical growth. And I will consider with you, first of all, this morning, that the first stronghold I see, again, in the, it's emerging again in the American church. Amen. That's the feminine spirit. We have a crisis. I was amazed as I heard Pastor Mitchell preaching a number of years ago, that he read somewhere that by the year 2015, I believe, uh, he said, if you have a male pastor in this country, you'll be the exception and not the rule. We have a crisis in this country. We have an epidemic, and that epidemic this morning is women run churches. We have a crisis in America, and that's undisciplined children, bossy women, and soft men. The women are very spiritual. But the men are very carnal in this generation. It's the women that promote the intercessory prayer groups in the church. And I found over and over again, wherever you go, the, woman, the women rather, are the go-getters in many of our churches. While the men are passive, lethargic, and apathetic. And the problem today in America is we have a reversal of roles. I've learned many times that in America, as you watch Christian television, the macho image from the pulpit is a cover-up for a controlled man. My dad used to say, if you're going to talk bad, then you need to be bad. And what's at stake this morning is the survival of converts, especially male disciples. In the book of Revelations chapter 2 and verse number 23, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Now if we were all honest, I'll be frank if you'll be earnest this morning. If we were absolutely honest this morning, amen, some of the best men that we have in our churches are women. Here is a description of the church at Thyatira, where a feminine spirit rules. This is in the American culture. It's in the American church. It's in the charismatic world. Many times when they advertise their church, it's pastors. And they mention the husband and the wife. I want to tell you, this is a generation of reversal of roles. No wonder we have so much perversion in this country. No wonder our our young men don't know what they are or who they are. You don't, when they stand before you to get married, you don't know whether to call it a he, she, or a (laughs) shem. Now, I preached something like this before and had a man run up to me after church and was upset. He said, I'm the head of my house. I said, yeah, and your wife's the neck that turns the head. He said, I wear, I, I want to tell you, I, I, wear, I wear the zipper in this house too. And I said, yeah, the zipper's in the back. This is the generation of the effeminate song leader. These are song leaders who comb their hair with an egg beater. They're beautiful. they they have the Colgate smile. It's like they've been brushing their teeth with hemorrhoid medicine. The song service goes off without a hitch. Amen. I want to tell you, friend, it's time for men of God to rise up in this generation and cast down the stronghold of feminism in the church. There's another stronghold in the local church, and that's the carnal versus the spiritual. In the book of Romans, the Bible said the carnal mind is enmity with God. This is when the carnal outweighs the spiritual and the spiritual climate of your church. How many know your church has a personality and a culture this morning? And I want to tell you that the tragedy is, is that the carnal today set the tone for our church. It's sad to say in many churches prayer is no longer an issue. Can I tell you, could I repeat to you a quote that I read from Charles Spurgeon that the three keys to revival is number one, prayer, number two, prayer, and number three prayer. If we don't have prayer in our churches, we're not going to have a move of God. And if we do pray today, it sounds like a Christian seance. We have the lights turned down low and we're all praying in hushed tones. We are a Pentecostal fellowship. God wants you to turn that beefy tongue loose and lay hold of God in this generation. My observation is that in many of our overseas churches where I preach they have a very good attendance in morning prayer meetings. But in the American church today, prayer is now only for the elite or the called of God. That is a foreign concept to the revival that I was saved in. And I want to tell you this morning, I submit to you that the key is to keep the Americans away from contaminating the rest of the world with our low level of commitment. When the carnal outweighs the spiritual in your church It brings death to vision, to evangelism and giving I want to tell you the American church is entertainment and recreational oriented I have to get away Every pastor dreads December the 15th To about January the 15th People lose their mind I have to get away I am so stressed That's a modern day cliché listen to me we're not stressed out we're rusting out we have high blood pressure bleeding ulcers we've got nine irons in the fire we need to keep the main thing the main thing I understand the folks need to take a break from time to time but many people have the holiday virus they have to have a good time church has to be fun and I want to tell you that when carnality hits the pew. These people answer to no one and they are the template for every new convert that comes into your church. Do you hear me this morning? And the true definition of division is die which means two and two visions. The pastor and a few folks are contending for the vision of our fellowship and others are undermining the vision with their carnality. I can smell the American church. It don't smell very good there's a third stronghold and I'm moving quickly And that's laborers versus the spectator mentality in this deep you're waiting for the deep part see the true mark of revival is a volunteer spirit every pastor in this building if you are absolutely honest today people get saved to sit when we got saved I want to tell you, friend, we wanted to do something for God and your salvation is in question when this is not there. In the book of Psalms 110 and verse number 2, listen, they shall be willing volunteers in the day of my power. You know what most churches, they have, we have 20 tired, overworked people and the majority of the American church is fully satisfied to watch the others do the work. This is the day of the daycare, of the daycare bear. How many remember the, the, the day of Care Bears in the 1980s? You could buy the little Care Bear, the different colors to represent the different moods. Someone told me one time, there's only 12 different kind of personalities. I said, you've never pastored a Pentecostal church. I've counted at least 36. Pray for me, minister to me, lay your hands on me, counsel me, loan me. Normal flow of revival is you get saved to serve. Today they get saved to sit. And when you really get saved, you have the want to's and not the have to's. I want real ministry. You want real ministry? Then go to the nursery. You want real ministry? Then pick up the parking lot. That's where we all started. No, I want to be sent around the world with a revelation gift. We would have a line out the door today if we could impart the gift of healing and people could take the healing gift around the world. But I want to tell you what real ministry is. It's getting, getting involved with stinky sheep. It's following up on people that many times their eyes are glued to the TV and you're trying to break through. This is the generation of spectators. uh, And most of the time, the church is like a football game. You have 11 men on the field who desperately need rest and 75,000 fans in the stands who desperately need exercise. I know you're here to analyze me. I dare you to take notes on me. There's not a psychiatrist in this state that wouldn't want to lay me down on his couch. I've seen things that he doesn't believe. I've seen, I've heard things that he doesn't believe that I've heard, but I saw them and heard them just the same. I want to tell you that Jesus is coming back. And it's time that we grab that devil by the thyroid gland and put him down on the carpet and put our foot in his chest and push down briskly until we hear something snap. This is not the women's auxiliary meeting, the tea party. We're in a war. I said we're in a war this morning. Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. Here's the apostle Paul. Knocked off his high horse and blinded. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The spectator fears real ministry in the church They are performance oriented They don't want to prepare They want to perform a generation That's into appearances And we have to make up our mind We're either going to look good Or we're going to be good We can have the perfect body But be cruel and heartless And performance oriented You know we used to just come to church To hear preaching Now we have to become the big eventers Folks will come to revivals They'll come to plays They'll come to see a singing quartet. You can set, sell tickets at $7.50 apiece at the back door and pack the place out. They want to be entertained and they want to they come to a rally. They want to come to a conference. They want to come see the singing Christmas tree and they want to see live camels in your Easter play and all you have is poo-poo on your platform. <laughs> when I got saved, I just came to hear preaching. And the harder they preached... The more I liked it The pastor would hit me between the eyes in the morning I'd fly into a thousand pieces Come back to Sunday night service Blood running out of both nostrils and both ears And say hit me again I enjoy good music That was good music last night I was trying to find my Bic lighter so I could turn it on God resisted the Laodicean church a church that was people run versus leadership run another thing my father used to say if I can't be the leader in this home I'm not going to live here one of the keys to revival is that the leaders led and the people followed I want to talk about secondly this morning the strongholds in ministry this is the curse on modern-day ministers the first stronghold I want to address this morning is logic versus faith. You see, the tendency among the neo-Pentecostal world today is to be cute little intellectuals. I found a quote. It said, pure logic is the ruin of the spirit. In other words, in the church today, we're trying to impress others with our intellectual prowess. Now, I find that quite humorous in our group. Because most of us here this morning are still trying to get the marijuana smoke out of our head. 1 Corinthians 2, for my speech and preaching, we're not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power and the death of many good church services has been wordy preachers. Not word preachers, but wordy preachers. Many good revival meetings have been massacred by long-winded preaching. The letter killeth, the Bible said, but the Spirit brings life. And I found to my amazement that there's a tenth gift not mentioned many times, and that's the gift of continuance. Many sermons today sound like good book reports. Uh, how many know that there's a difference between sermons uh, and book reports? And the difference is divine life. Uh, it's the anointing that makes the difference. Preaching today has turned into sharing. I don't want to hear someone share. I want you to preach. Very few of us qualified to be true intellects. Most of us here this morning, uh, we barely made it through high school It was a great, great day in the kingdom when we got our GED. So when we preach, we just need to spit it out. And like Pastor Mitchell said, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. So, brother, what was the antithesis of what you just said? The new idolatry in America is sermonolatry. Who can hit the hottest lick? Let me tell you what the hottest lick at the, this morning let me give you a description the hottest lick is the mind of god for that service and for those people it's called a timely word paul qualified to be an intellectual then god called him to the gentiles who could care less i've had people ask me where you got where did you get your diploma where did you get your ordination papers i said john chapter 15 verse number 16 you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. I've got a few degrees, a BA degree, born again, a PhD, praise him daily, and a BHD, baptized in the Holy Ghost. You know what people really are hungry for worldwide? Let me tell you what they're really hungry for wherever I go is Holy Ghost ministry. This moves me. Secondly, I want to kick over another golden calf, and that's the danger of speaking beyond the level of our knowledge. Now, this this is a sin of the tongue that's not so obvious to you and I. Proverbs ten and verse nineteen in the New Living Translation. I love this. Don't talk too much, for it fosters sin. Be sensible and turn off the flow. When I was a kid, my dad used to teach me. He said, "Lefty, lefty, Lucy, righty, tidy." it seems that people who don't have a clue about what they're talking about never seem to lack confidence (laughs) this is a stronghold today over the ministry it's the sin of apollos he had complete confidence in what he was saying but he was misinformed Could I tell you my brother this morning over speculation is dangerous you know it's amazing folks over the years you I'm just thinking I'm coming up on 35 years of marriage We've been in the ministry for over 30 years, 31 years. I've been saved 39 years. And I give my testimony, I've been saved so long, I feel like I'm lying. (laughs) And I've learned a few things over the year, too. But you always have these folks who know everything about pastoring. The only problem is they've never pastored. Our Bible cemetery, seminaries, I always get those two words mixed up, are filled with professors who have never pastored. And pastors have to be very careful that we can suffer in the disease of paralysis of analysis. And there's a number of temptations that we have to avoid. Number one, analyzing people or believing the worst about people. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, the New Living Translation, be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns. There's a number of temptations that we face. One of the temptations we face is always explaining suffering. Amen. The temptation to believe everything that you hear. How many of you know we uh, read from time to time urban legends? I've met folks who've had afterlife experiences. Yet they continue to live immoral and they're unfaithful and they don't tithe. Have you ever had someone start treating you differently? Once they were extremely friendly, now they stiff-arm you and you're wondering what was said by who? You know, it's been my conclusion after being back from the foreign field for seven months. Americans are all on their period anyway. (laughs) We have our own church legends. Do I dare preaching masterpieces on discipleship, but no disciples? Preaching about money, but not liberal? Preaching about overseas ministry, you can't hack it for a week, and you hate the people that you're ministering to? Preaching about revival, but have never seen it? One well, of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life was to buy a Swindoll book on the Holy Ghost. That was exciting that's like buying a John MacArthur book on the gifts of the spirit in the book of Jude, verse number 10, But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. And Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. I'm talking about speaking above the level of your knowledge is just as deadly as lying and gossip and rumor mongering. I have a strong conviction that gossips are just one step below child molesters. I've had them come to me after church. Pastor, I've been talking. I need to lay my tongue on the altar. I said, there's not an altar big enough for yours. When I find it, I'll let you know. It's the know-it-all spirit. Some of the greatest hindrances to the ministry today. It's what I call the church Jonah. who knows everything but will not obey. They're the most critical in the church. They know everything about what should be done in the church and they refuse to glean from over 30 years of ministry. Listen, my friend, we have many preachers here this morning and if you don't receive and and you're not able to glean from them, then you don't deserve their ministry. I want to kick over another golden cow to stronghold in the ministry and that's the prevalent mindset of quality versus quantity. I'm not talking about discipleship many times we have our own accommodating theology and an excuse for barrenness. Now I've said it and you've said it. Brother, we're not into noise, numbers, and nickels. Now you've compounded the problem by lying. You can often feel the vibes from folks who are content... With maintaining, it's an anti-growth spirit, it is a Holy Ghost resistant, it is a sermon-proof crowd, and there's nothing more boring than maintaining instead of taking new territory for the kingdom of God. It's like we're here to hold on. We need to invade. Now we can have the surround the wagons mentality or hold the fort mentality. There's nothing more boring, and if we're not careful, we start accepting barrenness as normal this is a dangerous attitude I see in ministers just as long as the bills are getting paid everybody's happy as long as I can golf there's nothing worse than babysitting religious people America's filled with backsliders and religious retreads alcoholics that can quote the Bible you see converts are the cutting edge of the local church don't you get weary Of hearing the testimonies And I I don't minimize this morning The miracle of Christian kids Or church kids getting saved But don't you get just a little bit weary Of hearing the testimony I was a church kid I was raised in the fellowship My dad was a pastor That's great I've got two church kids myself Thank God they're saved this morning In the ministry But I want to tell you the cutting edge of our ministry is getting raw sinners saved If God would just infuse our churches with fresh blood I'm talking about wild-eyed teenagers Can you say amen? First time I gave my testimony, I didn't know much I didn't have my theology right I called Ezekiel, 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 Job, Job, Psalms, Psalms That's what it looked like to me Gave my testimony, I was so scared, I wrote down three sermons and preached all three in ten minutes. And Gave a popcorn testimony, popped up and turned white. But I was so excited and I'm testifying and a cuss word came out. I, I turned around and said, sorry pastor, and I just kept right on testifying. But in those days, we had divine life. And the best advertising for our churches is not the latest layout. And I'm going to pass out flyers till Jesus comes back. But the greatest advertising with these converts that are getting saved that have a cutting edge. Let me refute a modern day myth that numbers aren't important. It would help you to read your Bible. Because numbers do represent souls. Oh, I can feel your vibes out there. I'm into noise I believe you have some life in you they're going to shout the preacher down when he preaches there's going to be some verbal response we don't live and die by verbal response but when there's life there's going to be lots of activity when I walk into that Gallup church you can hear babies crying you know what that is that's the sign of life When people are laughing, having a good, shaking hands, having a good time. How many know that's divine life? And when you have a church service and people are singing with all their heart, they may not have the words right, amen, and the guitars may be out of tune. God didn't say sing in tune. He said make a joyful noise. Noise is a part of revival. Amen. When the elder brother came looking, came back to the house, he heard them rejoicing, dancing, and making music. That's a Pentecostal church. I'm into noise, lots of noise. I like it loud myself. I'm in the numbers, because numbers represent souls. Why would the Holy Ghost put in there that there were 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost? Why would he put there's 120 in the upper room? He sent out the 70, two by two. Why would he say that he appeared to 500 brethren and that 5,000 more men, if numbers weren't important? Numbers represent souls. And Nichols, any good preacher here, you're going to be there Friday. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, waiting to find out how to get the nickels. Because we have to finance the revival. Can you say amen? These two couples are not going to be able to call the consulate and speak in tongues. They'll say, praise God, come on in. It's going to cost money for tickets. Amen for shipment. I want to tell you, the the gospel, Jesus Christ, the gospel is, is, salvation is free. But the gospel is not free if you're not into church growth then what are you into why can't we make disciples and reach the crowds at the same time I believe that 2010 and I want to go on record I want to prophesy that 2010 is going to be the year of breakthrough for the harvest I believe that I want to close this morning I want to talk about strongholds and a move of God this is when the devil goes to church These are strangleholds that must be resisted steadfastly that will kill and divert a move of God and we have the case history of revival. And the first stronghold that I see today in the church is formalism. What is formalism? It's when we lean upon eloquence, polish, and organizational skills or ability becomes the focus and you can have all the methods and the principles of our fellowship but not have the spirit of our fellowship. Divine life is the attraction of revival. Ray Hughes, I was recently reading an article that he wrote. He's been in the church of God for 76 years. He's been a Pentecostal preacher for 63 years. And he said, fire is a crowd getter. He said, there's nothing worse than dead orthodoxy. In Revelations chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, you can read about the Laodicean church. They were doctrinally sound. They were highly organized, but mechanical, lukewarm in their operation. And the Bible says of Sardis in the book of Revelations chapter 3 that they had a reputation that they were alive, but really they were dead. Now contrast that with the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 6. After the day of Pentecost, the Bible said when it was noised abroad, a large crowd Or the multitudes begin together today the church is smug sedate and snug so many Christians of today one writer said are like Rip Van Winkle they come to life during a revival then go back to sleep and they drift and float with the current what is formalism it's the practice or the doctrine of strict adherence to prescribed or external let me emphasize the external forms did I submit to you, my brother, this morning that God is animated? I said God is alive. We don't serve a God as uh, that Pastor Gooding was mentioning this morning that has a mouth that cannot speak, ears that cannot hear, and eyes that cannot see. Thank God we're not here to worship a piece of turquoise and feather. Jesus is alive. Buddha is dead. Mohammed is dead. Hari, Hari, Krishna is dead. Get some other gay-faced guru is not the answer. Mary has gone mary's not the way there's no hope in the pope there's no hope in dope this morning (laughs) formalism is a stronghold that will begin to erect in the local church in a movement everything that god touches lives and it's sad today that frigid worship is now dignified that everything is digital i was reading an article from an old pentecostal preacher he said there are some who are worried about extreme emotionalism And fanaticism when you talk of spiritual fire But I'm not as much worried about frying and emotionalism As I'm about about dry rot in the church He said a Texas evangelist was preaching with great deal of fire And zeal in a tent meeting And the pastor told him to put on the brakes Because he was preaching too hard And the evangelist replied God didn't call me to be a brakeman He called me to be a fireman God is animated A church cannot carry out the Great Commission without the fire of God. Organizations and plans and programs without the touch of the Spirit are but dead weight to the church. Listen to me. A car with 12 cylinders is no better than one with 4 cylinders if there's no spark plug. The curse of every movement is respectability. Now look at the clientele setting here this morning. This is not the TBN crowd. First of all, if you were to pan this crowd, you would see that we have large numbers of men, which is totally radical to this day's American-style religion. And the other thing that you notice right away is the ethnics. A large portion of this crowd this morning is brown. God is colorblind. And I've been pastoring ethnics all my ministry. God has a sense of humor. I did have some ending blood, but I had a nosebleed and they threw me out of the tribe. <laughs> but look at the clientele that we reach. Many of our churches in Arizona, it's not uncommon to have 70, 80% of the crowd Hispanic. I looked over that crowd the last service I was in in Gallup. There was probably 80%. Navajo setting out there. I knew exactly what Custer felt like last 20 seconds (laughs) before Custer wore arrow shirts. Anyway, moving in in, to tell ethnic people not to get emotional and show no physical display is unreasonable. I preach in the Philippines, have them weeping so loud at the altar I could hardly hear myself think. I could have got up there with my western mind, so stoic. Aren't we so stoic, so self-possessed, zipping up our composure? Where's the welcome sign of the Holy Ghost? I could have got up with my leather-lit fakery, cheap propaganda, and told them to calm down. I had an alcoholic get say in one of my churches, 63 years old, been married five times. And every time the song service would begin, she'd kind of jump over here, over to the right, and kind of move around. And I had people come up to me and say, Pastor, would you shut her down? She's scaring us. I said, shut her down. I'm trying to get all of you to act like that. <laughs> Do you believe God is unmovable, unemotional? When the Bible said we're made in His image, it's totally normal to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who. We- God made us that way. Religion's a hot dish. And in order for it to be palatable, it must be served piping hot, cold, formal, ritualistic religion is repulsive. There's another stronghold I see in the history of revival, and that's institutionalism. Let me give it to you in layman's terms, a desire to reach a better class of people. This mindset is very prevalent in groups. Who have lost the move of God and either we're going to have a Hollywood church or we're going to reach the common people listen if it's only going to be the beautiful intelligent and wealthy you're going to exclude 90% of the world's population. Historically, Pentecostals have grown numerically because we reach down into the dregs of society to the poor to disenfranchise the rejects. We used to mock Foursquare to scorn for parading their trophies of grace and now we're designing our outreaches to reach the 30-somethings with children. Bless your dirty heart. There's an exciting group. Let's go do something for God. Amen. (laughs) Then we begin to streamline our services so that we don't seem so Pentecostal. What happened to the radical teens who can start a revolution? Now I know I'm white-headed and I'm looking at the band last night. We're all getting older. I know I've got some snow up here, but I've still got some fire down in the boiler room. There's nothing I like than being around more than being around radical teenagers that are on fire for God. It makes you young again, doesn't it? I did that when I was 19, jumped up in a Denny's and started screaming. I had ketchup running down the front of my shirt. <laughs> I did it, purposely poured it on and screamed, it's the blood, it's the blood. And they called the police, they carried us out of the restaurant, and then I went to church on Wednesday night and talked about how I was persecuted for the Lord. And, you know, I'd rather have that wildfire than rigor mortis set in. Can you say amen? The problem is that the church has become an upper-middle-class institution. And I want to close and tell you, there's another stronghold that has to be cast down. It's almost like I'm preaching to the choir. We've heard this all week long, and that's materialism. I'm not pushing poverty, but our prosperity has sometimes become a curse. And prosperity has now become the goal instead of the harvest. You can read about a supernatural impartation in Acts chapter 3, where a man set by the gate beautiful... Sitting outside that dead mausoleum, they called the church, the temple in those days. But no resurrection life. Year after year. And here comes Peter. After Pentecost, he says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the Bible said the Spirit of God touched this man. His ankle bones immediately received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. I believe it was Vance Havner said, we can't say silver and gold, have we not now? And neither can we say such as I have, give I thee. Today, our blessing has become a curse. I'll be honest with you. When I first got saved, I'm going to let you have coffee, let you have donuts. When I got saved, about the only thing I owned was a new flannel shirt and a roach clip. But this is not the body of a drug addict. I've been blessed. I mean, you have to find a scripture for it, don't you? I've been enlarged. (laughs) Men who are talking about going, but are planning on staying. We're living better than we've ever lived. Praise God. It's called redemption and lift. God is a blesser. Can you say amen? But would you be willing to Cash it all in to do the will of God I liquidated twice Liquidated twice in my ministry My wife gets nervous on Thursday night I just go ahead and bring my Bible And the U-Haul card I just put it in here It's a local address phone number If you couldn't get stirred after seeing that movie last night You're dead After that sermon last night If you didn't want to buy in on the real estate You're sick This is what we live for I was born in revival I've known nothing but revival my kids know nothing but revival I'll never be satisfied with the smoke we have to have the fire so what's the answer to all that I said we're going to have to cast down those are violent terms get our people praying again get them back on outreach put some iron in their soul we become a nation of sissies our greatest fear is somebody might reject us on an outreach I've had them pour cans of beer over the top of my head. I went to a door, knocked on a door in in Guam, and the guy put a shotgun. There's a barrel in my face. I just rolled up the track and stuck it in the end of the barrel. I wish you Christians would leave us alone. I said, we're going to pretty soon. But while I'm here, while we're here, we're going to give the devil more trouble than he bargained for.
0: I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.